builders of good, thank you for tuning in to the Build Good Fundraising Podcast. Fundraising isn't easy, but it should be simple. So on this show, we take the mystery out of raising money. And on every episode, we coach you on how to build your fundraising like a flywheel. The flywheel has five steps. Number one, listening to donors. Number two, engaging them. Number three, asking the right people for the right things. Number four, celebrating every gift. And number five is reporting back. So if you master the five parts of the flywheel, your fundraising flywheel will start to gain momentum reliably with a lot less effort on your part. Your revenue will grow and so will your career. So every week, we're going to focus on one part of the flywheel. But today, well, today we're introducing the concept of a flywheel to you. Because what the heck is a flywheel anyways? Is it a wheel? Does it fly? Does it have wings? What does any of it have to do with fundraising? Well, we'll get into that right now. Well, speaking of flying, I am flying solo today, so it'll just be you and me. And the reason I wanted to just have a chat with you is to introduce and explain the concept of a flywheel, but also the direction that this podcast is going to go in. So here's the headline. I want to challenge you to stop thinking of your fundraising as a marketing funnel. Stop thinking of your fundraising as a marketing funnel and start to think about it as a fundraising flywheel. So here's your roadmap for the, for the, for the conversation, right? Like number one is we're going to talk about what a flywheel is. Number two, we'll talk specifically about what a fundraising flywheel is and how it's different from a funnel. And number three, we're going to end by just talking about how the podcast is changing a little bit and what that all means for you. Sounds good? All right. Let me start with a story. So I grew up in South America, and I was born in this rural dust bowl of a town, right? Like a small town that was almost completely off the grid. At the time, no running water, but it was a fully functioning town. It, it had houses and, and roads and a hospital that I was born in and everything, right? So how's that, how's that even possible? Well, While the electrical grid was being established, a lot of things were run off of diesel generators. Like some people had their own generators, but the town also had huge diesel generators. And these generators would power certain electricity, uh, water pumps, uh, engines that would power different stuff that the town needed or that houses needed. So definitely... Um, off the grid, but people were making it work with creative approaches. Now, a diesel generator has this giant metal flywheel at the end of it. And a flywheel is a big round wheel. It's just this big round piece of steel, uh, like a solid piece of steel. It's super heavy. And the purpose of the flywheel is to keep the momentum of the engine going so that the engine can run smoother, but also so the engine burns a little bit less diesel and so it's got less stress on it because it's running, you know, for hours and hours and days and days at a time. So here's here's kind of how a flywheel works. Just imagine this big, solid, heavy, round steel plate and it's on an axle, meaning that that you can spin it. 
right? So let's say that you start to spin it. You're going to have to use both hands at the beginning to actually start to bring this thing into motion, right? Because it's super heavy and it'll only move a little bit. So then you put both hands on it and you start to spin it a little bit and then you like you like apply pressure again with both hands and again and slowly it's starting to turn and you turn it again and again and again and again and again and all of a sudden the wheel is starting to slowly spin on its own. And every time that you apply pressure to it, it actually becomes a little bit easier to push it. And not only does it become easier for you to spin it, it also becomes easier for you to spin it faster and faster and faster and faster until this big wheel, this big, heavy metal plate in front of you is spinning really fast. And all of a sudden, you can basically keep it in motion just using one finger. It's the same big heavy wheel that you could barely move slowly with both hands at the beginning, but now that it's spinning and now that it's spinning fast, it's got momentum and you can just apply pressure with one finger to keep it running and spinning fast. So how is that possible? Well, when a flywheel has momentum, it stores energy and releases that energy. So here's another way to think of it. If, if you've got kids like me, um, think of a merry-go-round in a playground. Like that's a flywheel. A merry-go-round is a flywheel. At first, the kids have to push it hard to get going, or the parents have to push it hard to get going. <laughs> but uh, once it's going, it's actually super easy to keep in motion. And before you know it, like kids are holding on for dear life and they're flying off of it, right? Because it's got motion, it has some stored energy that it's releasing, and it's easy to keep it going, to keep it spinning fast. So that's why a flywheel on an engine is so crucial. Because once the engine is up to speed, the flywheel keeps the momentum going. It's stored enough energy that it only needs a little bit of force to keep spinning fast which means the engine has to burn less gas, less diesel, and it also has less strain on all of the moving parts in the engine because the flywheel is smoothing out the motion of the engine. So that's a flywheel. I, I hope that when you uh, close your eyes and you think about this metaphor of a flywheel of a merry-go-round, I hope that that makes sense to you. I know that this is an audio format. Uh, it's, it's hard to show this to you <laughs> in an audio format, in an audio podcast. But I hope I've done a decent job that you can at least imagine what a flywheel might look like, right? So that's the job of the flywheel. Keep the momentum going reliably, consistently, in a steady cadence, a steady rhythm and smooth out the motion. All right, so how in the world does that relate to your fundraising? Well, what if you created a flywheel with your fundraising? What if you could actually create a flywheel with your fundraising? So if you think about what we just talked about, at first, it'll require some effort to get started. You'll have to use it's all hands on deck. It'll be effort to get it started, to get it turning. It's going to be this big, heavy steel plate that looks like, yeah, maybe it looks impossible to turn. 
but you start little by little consistently applying pressure to it. So that's you getting your revenue engine up to speed. But once it's going, it'll keep your fundraising and your revenue in momentum with a lot less effort from you. And so burning less diesel means that your gas tank won't always feel like it's like on empty or like you're running on fumes. And all the moving parts in your fundraising shop also won't be as strained and they won't be so worn down all the time, right? Doesn't that sound good? Well, it is possible. But first, you're going to have to stop thinking of your fundraising as a funnel and start thinking about it as a flywheel. So here's what a fundraising funnel like usually traditionally looks like. And this comes from the for-profit world that uh, many of us have sort of internalized this idea of a sales and marketing funnel, right? And the marketing and sales funnel, usually the point is to get like, to convert leads into paying customers. That's how businesses think about it. So a funnel is the system that primarily in the nonprofit sector and fundraising is focused on marketing to new donors and acquiring new donors. And there's typically three parts of a fundraising and the marketing funnel. There's the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, and the bottom of the funnel. So top of funnel might be things like Facebook ads or social media content or, or some mass marketing activity. Right, You are trying to stand out. You're trying to catch the attention of potential donors. You're trying to maybe uh, interrupt um, their normal pattern a little bit. You're trying to catch them with something interesting. You are trying to build your brand. You're trying to expose them to the name of your organization and what you do, right? This can this can also be PR. It can be many things. It's basically at the top of the funnel, it's the first point of contact with somebody who's never heard about your organization before. That's top of funnel. Uh, then the middle of the funnel, that might be you uh, converting a donor on an online landing page and you're getting their email address and now you're sending them an onboarding email series, right? Uh, or you got them to come out to an event or a golf tournament or a gala or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, that's that's often like middle of a funnel. It can even be something in the mail, right? Uh, you're in the middle of the funnel You've moved past the awareness stage, like people know who you are, they know you exist, and you are moving toward getting that first gift. So that's middle of the funnel. Now at the bottom of the funnel, this is where you start to have a more meaningful relationship with them because you've got a gift and you're working at a second gift conversion. And you're working at going a little bit deeper in their understanding of your mission or your cause. And so typically when people design donor journeys, oftentimes they think of a, of a funnel, right? We got we to gotta attract um, and we got to convert them and then we got to upgrade them. That's oftentimes how they think of a funnel. But that's where the funnel ends, right? That's where the funnel ends. At the bottom of the funnel, if you're using the funnel analogy, that's where things end. So typically fundraising shops who have the funnel mindset not always, but sometimes they, they look at fundraising this way. 
they still look at fundraising as uh, uh, fundraising and building brand and marketing as this highly controlled message and narrative. It's a little bit of a command and control mindset. It's mainly this one-way broadcast. And that includes email and social media and everything else. Um, so uh, n- not always. Sometimes older, larger, more established institutions tend to think of fundraising and communications as being highly controlled. You are trying to control the message. Um, it's often non-responsive. Uh, as in, it's not very much in the moment. It's very scheduled and planned. We've got different themes for every quarter, and if something doesn't fit that theme, it doesn't go out. Um, we have uh, one year, two year, three year, four year, whatever plan, and, and you know any deviations from the plan needs to go through like approval committees. Oftentimes, we are focusing on what do we want to say. Right. And that's kind of low context because it's like uh, there's an implied I know better than you mindset that comes with that. So rather than, you know, what is relevant to people who care about our mission and our organization at this time, what is the most relevant for them? It is uh, what do we want them to know? It's all about we and us and the message that we want to push out. The you know, stewardship is often kind of basic and it's more so focused on short-term results. Um, sometimes in, again, in larger established institutions, especially in higher ed or sometimes in the healthcare sector, um, that's sort of, it's called the annual fund. Now we don't like the word annual fund whatsoever. We don't use it. Um, that That's for another podcast, but um, it's often the, t- the transaction is seen as as more of an annual thing, um, as more of a transactional thing, sometimes as more of a duty thing. You know, you, know, you got to give to your alma mater once a year. That's just what people do. Um, and people are very much focused, fundraising shops and marketing shops are focused on telling our story well. Not the donor story, not the story of what we're doing together, but like our story. What's our story and how are we telling it well? Now, there are some positives that come um, and, and by the way, there was definitely a time and place for approaching fundraising and, and communications in that way. But uh, that's the old way. And there are some positive things that have come out of that, which is that more and more organizations are becoming media and content machines. And I don't mean the word machines as in like soulless uh you know, robots and like pushing gears or anything like that. I mean, like they've actually built up a bit of an infrastructure to become a media org and a content org, which is, which can be very positive overall. Some large organizations um, did jump on the acquisition hamster wheel. They've, they've, they're spending a lot of money acquiring new donors and unfortunately, they're not keeping most of them. A lot of large brand name organizations that almost all of us would know by heart. If if you if you ask somebody what are some of the largest like organizations that you know, a lot of them you would be shocked to see how their mass marketing, their individual giving, how low their retention rates are. 
because they were built completely on a direct response acquisition hamster wheel that is very much focused on burning and churning through lists, getting small gifts, but then doing a a terrible job at building a community of donors um, because it's cheaper and easier to keep acquiring new donors um, and it's cheaper and easier to just identify the donors who can who can make major gifts and then be completely you know be focused on principal gifts and i'm not saying that strat- there's anything wrong with that strategy it's it's partly what we always recommend which is that your mass file should fuel your major giving for sure but what's What's missing in all of that is that it's only seen as this hamster wheel of acquiring new donors through lists. Now, organizations have also worked harder to capture the imagination and attention of donors as consumers, right? So they say, well, if a Super Bowl ad can capture the imagination of somebody to, I don't know, just, I don't know switch their favorite brand of beer to Budweiser or something, um, you know, why, why can't we capture the imagination and attention of donors and generally speaking again generally speaking i think it's fantastic to try to be very imaginative and creative to get the attention of of people um but it is thinking of them as consumers which is partly the mentality behind a marketing funnel and partly why donor retention is so low it's because it is seen as a consumer uh, transaction. And the goal in organizations who are um, steeped in the in the old way in the funnel, but who are moving toward a flywheel, the goal is to build an engaged audience. And again, the building an engaged audience is, is actually fantastic. Now, here's the new way, the improved way, maybe the tweaked way that I want you to think about fundraising, which is a flywheel a mindset is putting ongoing effort into your donor journey by aligning your entire fundraising around listening to donors first, then leading with engagement, and only then asking. And then you're going to celebrate their gift and you're going to report back in a timely and responsive manner. And responsive means ongoing. You're going to treat donors like they're an important part of the team. And if something is important for your team to know, maybe it's important for your donors to know. And donors are going to play an important part of your team. And notice that I say that they're part of the team. And notice that I said team. Donors aren't the the mighty heroes and we're going to be donor-led and we're only going to do what donors say. I'm not, I'm not advocating for harmful practices at all. But I am advocating for treating donors like they are part of the team and like they are an important part of the team, just like other people on the team are an important part of the team. So... Here's the five parts of the flywheel. It's one, listen, two, engage, three, ask, four, celebrate, and five, report. And it repeats. That cycle repeats over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's a circle. It's a flywheel. It's less about pushing donors through a funnel to get the first gift. And it's more about designing the entire pipeline 
to align around first-time giver to legacy lever? What does that look like? So a key aspect of that is that the flywheel keeps spinning. You are designing your fundraising for ongoing engagement at every step of that pipeline. Not just for acquisition, not just for major gift, or, or any other silo you have in your shop. It is aligning your entire shop around what does it take to go from first-time giver to legacy lever, and how do we resource that appropriately, right? So the new way is actually organizations inviting participation with the goal of retention, not with the goal of acquisition, with the goal of retention. Because, you know, retention begins at acquisition. It's inviting people into the story, not as consumers, but as active participants and citizens. I'm not just going to send you stuff, and if I'm creative enough, you're going you're gonna to buy that offer or that cause. Um, it is it is going a little bit deeper than that. And by the way, if you do this well, then the stuff that you send and when you invite people to respond to an offer, that's going to go a lot easier, right? Your direct mail is going to perform better. Everything is going to perform better if you build out a flywheel. So it's inviting people into, into the story of your organization as active participants and citizens. They have a specific and meaningful role to play. They are an important part of the team. It is asking for mind share before you ask for wallet share. Not always, but often. What do you think about this? Can we get some feedback? Um, it's listening to donors in 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 many different ways, listening to their be you know how they behave, the donor data, but also what they have to say, how they act. It is responsive stewardship focused on donor lifetime value. So again, the, the way that we're measuring are we being successful is we're playing the long game. It's like, what is the donor lifetime value here? What am I willing to invest to help somebody lead them from being a first-time giver to becoming a legacy lever, right? And so the whole goal here is to build a community of purpose, to, to go from audience to community. Building audience is a great thing. Turning that audience into a community is an even better thing. And we're going to talk about community a whole lot more on this podcast. So once you build that flywheel, raising money actually becomes easier because you've got momentum, because you've got stored energy in your community of donors. Your donor file will actually start to feel more alive, more vibrant, and because you're leading with listening and engagement, you will become much smarter in what to ask for. It'll be easier for you to ask the right people for the right things. And you'll be a lot smarter in how to ask for it. And it'll be easier for you to identify mid-level donors, major donors, monthly donors, and legacy donors, right? Like everything will just become a little bit easier. Now, the flywheel has another characteristic that we haven't talked about. When an engine stops, when it runs out of gas, when somebody turns it off, an engine with a flywheel actually keeps spinning for a little bit, even though the engine has been turned off already. The flywheel has so much momentum that it'll keep the engine going for a little bit. But then all of a sudden, it'll come to a hard stop. 
And so what the flywheel means is that if you build this flywheel and if you manage to do it well, your fundraising will start to work a lot better. Things will start to happen. You'll you'll raise more revenue. Things will feel alive and vibrant and like everything will seem like it's really clicking, it's working. And then if you stop some of your fundraising activities, you will have a bit of a fake sense of confidence. And this is the thing that I want to warn you about. Acquisition is still important. Um, other things are still important. If you stop acquisition, the flywheel will keep going for 18 to 24 months and things will seem fine until all of a sudden they're not. If you stop reporting back to donors, the flywheel will keep spinning for a few months and things will seem fine until all of a sudden they're not. If you start um, asking, if you stop listening to donors, if you stop all of these things, you may be tempted, new leadership comes in, they want to make some changes, a new new director of development comes in, they want to make some changes, uh, they need to make some budget cuts. Um, well, do we really need all this budget for the stewardship? Do we really need all these surveys? Do we need to do qualitative research into who our donors are? And they start making cuts, especially as we're heading into 2023. A lot of organizations are making serious cuts already because revenue is down. The problem is things will st will still be okay for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they won't be. That flywheel has come to a dead stop, and it was a lot easier to maintain a spinning flywheel than to get a flywheel going again that has stopped and where all the energy has left the wheel. A lot of organizations saw this happen to them during COVID. They just stopped fundraising. And you know what? The first year of COVID was amazing for fundraising, even for people who didn't invest in it a lot. Second year, still okay. Third year, terrible for people who stopped fundraising during COVID. We're working with one organization that, that they, they happened to do that, and the effects are now becoming very, very clear. It'll likely take four or five years to get back to where they were. So rather than keep the flywheel spinning, if you stop it, things will be okay for a little bit. All of a sudden, they very much will not be okay. And now you're behind years because it's easier to keep that flywheel spinning and in motion than it is to just like turn off for a little while and then hoping to spin it back up. Right. So if you're wondering, well, okay, this sounds great. I think I get the concept. How do I implement the fundraising flywheel in my shop? Well, I've got good news for you. On next week's podcast, we've got Becky Longhurst back on the show. She's our senior fundraising strategist. You know her from the five minute fundraising fix. Well, she's coming back on the pod and we'll talk more in depth about each of the five parts of the flywheel. That's listening, engaging, asking, celebrating, and reporting. And after that, every podcast episode from now on will focus on one of the five parts of the flywheel. So if you're a regular listener of this show, and I hope you are, or I hope you will consider becoming one, I hope we provide enough value for you, you'll, I mean... In no time, you'll become a total pro in the fundraising flywheel and how to make it work at your nonprofit. And if you really want to take it a step further, we're also launching something called the Build Good Academy. So the Build Good Academy, it's, it's a program where we're going to help you 
implement the fundraising flywheel. You have weekly access to myself and our chief copy coach on Zoom, where we help you with your strategy. We'll review your fundraising materials and your communications and your fundraising plans. And and we're going to give you some, some feedback to help you make it better. There's also an online community where uh, you get to learn from others. Uh, There's just going to be training and resources, and we're going to go through examples from our client work that is working right now. So we're we're working with you know a portfolio of clients who are who are medium sized shops. Some are larger shops. We're learning a ton working with them, and we'll pass along everything that we're learning. If you're in the Build Good Academy, you'll get to be part of the journey, and you'll get to learn what's working right now. And you'll have a head start, right? This is a shortcut where you don't have to learn through trial and error. You can just skip the line, so to speak. So if that sounds something, sounds like something that that you know would help you not only raise more money, but also help you become a better fundraiser and leader and then advance in your career, just go to buildgood.com, book a call there. there there's a button to schedule a call book a call. It'll be either with myself or, or somebody from our team. And we look forward to talking to you then. Well, that's all for today. Here is my short action plan for you, which is very, very easy. It's, it's simply a thought exercise. Ask yourself, do I have a funnel mentality or do I have a flywheel mentality? Do we focus a lot of time in getting first gifts uh, you know, maybe we have a lot of like events and third-party events, and like we're we're spending all this time just getting first gifts, but we're not investing a lot in retaining and going deeper with existing donors. We 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 didn't build this flywheel, which is in motion. Like our our donor file doesn't seem vibrant. It doesn't seem very much alive, and it feels like we're running low on gas. And there's a lot of strain on all these different parts. Just just think to yourself, hey. Am I thinking, do I have a funnel mentality or do I have a flywheel mentality? That's that's all I want you to do for this week. And then come back next week where we walk through the five parts of the flywheel and what it means for, for your fundraising. So as always, thank you for hanging out with us around the fundraising campfire. If you're listening to this, you're my kind of people. I'm your kind of people. Thank you for the work you do. I'm your host, Mike Dirksen, cheering you on as you build good in the world.